If you've experienced a DNA surprise, you know that your emotions can range from shock to denial to grief to anger to confusion to joy and around again. And sometimes it's hard to find people who understand this unique experience. Sometimes we feel a little stuck as we navigate this journey. That's why we created the DNA Surprise Retreat. At the DNA Surprise Retreat, you'll enjoy six expert-led sessions to help you process your DNA surprise. You'll eat delicious catered meals, and most importantly, you'll build beautiful friendships with people who understand you, all in a stunning private ranch facility in the Arizona desert. If you've had shocking DNA test results, know that you're not alone. This retreat is for you. Join us September 19th through the 22nd, 2024 in Phoenix, Arizona. Registration is open now. Reserve your space at dnasurpriseretreat.com. I'll see you there. With him specifically, and then as I met the rest of the family, this became more profound. I felt like deeply, deeply connected to him in some way that I did not understand. Mm. Mm -hmm. I was saying to my husband this morning, because I have other photos now, and there's um, some photos of him when he was in like around my age now, a little bit younger at a time when I would have been, you know, in my, I guess, teens or something. And uh, I am compelled to look at those pictures all the time. And I was saying to my husband, like, I don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I like want to look at those pictures of my dad when he was like in his forties. And he was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because if somebody has a parent say that dies before they're born, you're contending with, and you're assimilating with this idea of somebody's absence. Mm-hmm. For the NPE or like even NPEs and adoptees and all, all of us donor conceived people, we are not only contending with their absence, which is profound in one sense, but we're what's even heavier is that you're contending with their presence. Imagine spitting into a tube, sending off your DNA, and unknowingly turning your life upside down. For me and thousands of others, this is our reality. I'm your host, Alexis Auerselt. In July of 2021, I discovered that I am an NPE, someone who has experienced a non-paternal event. In other words, my biological father isn't who I thought he was. This podcast shares the journeys of people who were shocked by a DNA discovery, mostly through modern DNA testing. We're telling the stories of NPEs, adoptees, and donor-conceived people and their families. This is DNA Surprises. Welcome to the Season 2 finale of DNA Surprises. Before we begin, I want to thank everyone who told their story this season. Gretchen, Kara, Charlotte, Michael Paul, Kara, Mark, Linda, Dory, Annie, Layla, Kristen, and Jennifer. I also want to thank you listeners for all of your emails, DMs, comments, and listens. I really appreciate your support. If you haven't yet, please rate and review the podcast on Apple and Spotify. That helps us reach even more people experiencing DNA surprises. Now on to the show. In this week's episode, Jennifer shares her NPE story. While she was never close to her birth certificate father, she was blindsided when she put the pieces together after taking a DNA test. Jennifer shares how her discovery has made an impact on her relationships and how she's building a relationship with her biological father and his family. Thanks for sharing your story, Jennifer. Okay, my name is Jennifer. I am 48 years old, and I am from a small rural town in northwestern Montana. My story 
begins, I guess if a little bit about growing up is that I, as I say, I lived in this very small town in Northwestern Montana. It, it was uh, largely a mining and logging town when I was growing up. It's a tri-city area. They're not really cities, they're towns, but a very uh, small populated area of three towns. And then there are these like peripheral towns that are on the outside. So I was from one of the towns in the valley, which is one of the bigger towns. And then the person that turned out to be my biological dad is from a town that's about 80 miles north, right on the Canadian border. Mm -hmm. um, and this was a mining town. My mom is adopted. So that's really where my DNA story begins. It's really hard for me to know because she thought growing up that she was adopted at around three months. But since finding out about my history, I uncovered that at least as far as the paperwork is concerned, it looks like she was adopted when she was closer to, you know, eight or nine months old. Mm -hmm. And so she was always wanting to find her bio family on her birth certificate is the name of both parents. However, she thought that perhaps the name of her bio father was a pseudonym. We had accidentally discovered her bio mom because we knew her last name from the birth certificate. My stepdad worked with someone that had the same last name, which is not a very common name in the area that we're from. And it turned out to be this person that worked with my stepfather turned out to be the first cousin of my mom's bio mom. Mm -hmm. So we met her bio mom probably like 25 years ago. And she had had one other daughter with a different um, father, um, the only other child that she had. And we met her as well. My mom didn't maintain a relationship with them. I'm not totally clear about what happened. Um, my stepdad was ill when we were growing up. He had something called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. It's this disorder of the liver that produces this enzyme, antitrypsin, and there's nothing to counteract that. And so the protein slowly eats away the lung tissue. So mm. he, um, he ended up having a heart and double lung transplant when I was 15. So around this time that my mom was going through this, my stepdad was quite ill. So there was a lot going on for the family. And um, she, she didn't, I think she just couldn't handle all of the emotional stress of all of those things combined. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. And she had like two stepkids and then myself and my younger sister, who's five years younger than I am. So, and that who's the daughter of my stepdad and, and my mom. So she didn't maintain a relationship with them, but she always had this, you know, like deep desire to know who her bio dad was. And I was very close with my her adopted parents, my maternal grandmother and grandfather. And my grandmother kept these really extensive family, like heritage, like I guess family trees. Genealogy was something that like her entire side of the family was very um, into. Her parents had been settlers in Montana and she had like 13 brothers and sisters. Wow. Um, yeah. So they like, she liked to trace the heritage. Of that. So I, when she passed away, I kept all of her records and I knew that this database through Ancestry, this was like sort of prior to the DNA really taking off, mm -hmm. but I knew that there were these extensive records. So I was entering all of the data into this database in hopes of, you know, like just making connections with different members of my grandmother's family. And in doing so, I thought I might be able to locate my mom's bio dad because we did have this name. Um, even though my mom thought it was a pseudonym, I, you know, there, I thought at some point maybe it would, I would be able to chase that person. I had been doing that for several years off and on. I was in graduate school, so I didn't have a ton of time to dedicate to it. Um, and I had a small son in the mid 2000s. And my younger sister, who is the daughter of, as I said, my mama's stepfather, she bought me a DNA test. That was in 2016. I took the DNA test in the hopes of finding my mom's father. And I didn't look at the ethnicity. I didn't look at the the map, you know, like the, yeah, the geographical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't really pay much attention to it. It said that I was 57 or 60% Norwegian. And my mom had always said, and I'm not sure where she came up with this, but that her, I, at this point, I think it was some kind of projection, but she said that her biological father, what she had been told is that he was a Norwegian skier, mm. <laughs> um, which is a weird story that she said he came to the United States to ski and it was a bizarre story. But so anyway, when I looked at the ethnicity, I was like, oh, you know, whoa, I'm 60% Norwegian. Surprised. I wasn't very surprised. And I just didn't pursue it. And there was a woman that contacted me 
and said, you know, I'm your second cousin. I was like, oh, great. You know, she lived in a neighboring town. And I was like, great. This is a cousin, probably a first cousin of my mom. So I communicated back and forth with her, trying to put the pieces together of how she was related to my mom's father and to try to find names. You know, the name that we knew, I tried to see if there was a similar name. Uh, nothing, but I, that was my presumption was that they were in some way related on my mom's paternal side. Mm-hmm. Um, she also had many, many cousins, like between second, third, you know, cousins, like 50, 60 cousins that were on ancestry and, you know, come to realize later I was related to all these people as well, but you know, it just didn't occur to me. She was the only person I was in contact with. About three years later, my mom took a DNA test also that my sister bought her as a gift. And I also didn't look at her results very carefully. I did not compare our results whatsoever. And then in December, so we and still no leads on her father at that point. Come December of 2020, my younger sister took a test. Um, I didn't know that she was taking it, but then she said, oh, you know, I have my results on Ancestry. And this was around December 20th or something. 2020. So I was like, great, you know, let's go on, let's compare. This is, this will be a great lead, you know, because maybe we can track down mom's dad. And so we go and we compare our results. And I was like, oh, this is weird. You know, our ethnicities, even though we're half sisters, were really divergent. They were very, very different. Mm. She was heavily German, which makes sense because her father uh, was German both of his parents. And then she had like a, quite a bit of Irish, Scottish. And um, so I was like, you know, and then some like English, British. And so I said, well, let's compare with mom. So I got the three, we got the three together. We're on the phone, you know, looking, (laughs) looking at all of this. And my mind is like, still not going there. (laughs) As most people's probably does not. She and my mom were very closely matched on the ethnicity portion and then I noticed that I had like no Irish and Scottish background the reason that that's complicated is because my birth certificate dad is like first generation Irish Scottish okay on both of his parents actually your younger sister you knew already she was your half sister so you were expecting different results but not so different correct okay we compared all, all three Our ethnicities were not similar at all. My mom was not in on this, by the way. She didn't, you know, she wasn't, it was emotional for her, right? Because she was looking for her father. And so my sister and I were doing all the comparisons. And then suddenly it occurred to me that the woman that had contacted me from the other neighboring town and all of her cousins were not on either profile of my mom or my sister. Mm. And then the light bulb sort of went off. And I was like, oh, now things are starting to make sense. That whole NPE experience of, oh, you know, I felt like an outsider growing up and, you know, how, how, why didn't I fit into the family? And why did I have this like sort of tortured relationship with my mother? And, you know, just all of the different things, things that I presumed had to do with the fact that I was a stepchild and all of the other children in the house were children of my stepdad. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that's why I felt like an outsider. And then things really started to come together. My sister and I started trying to figure out like what was going on. Um, She started to make a tree, you know, like a lineage tree to see if she could track down the different names. They're very common, like Scandinavian names. And so she was trying to see if she could find something that was like aberrant, you know, that would, would clue us in to who to who might, you know, what might be going on. And she was making excuses like, well, maybe your bio dad who lives 2000 miles away, who was born and has always lived 2000 miles away. Maybe he was adopted from Montana, you know? And so you should say she really was, she was, she's like, she was like seeking. Yeah. Seeking any sort of reason (laughs) that would make sense. Yeah. Right. Like easier avenues to explain. Mm Mm-hmm. And I should say, you know, she's very, she and my mom are very, very close. She's very protective of my mom. My mom and I have always had a very contentious relationship. And my sister, you know, being the youngest and being just having the personality that she has, you know, which is very like low key and accommodating has always tried to make our relationship work. The relationship between my mom and myself. So I think she was continuing to do that really. Okay. Um, At that point. Did your mom start to kind of pick up what was happening or was she still 
kind of clueless about what you discovered. Well, we weren't really talking to her about that part. She was really excited to know that we were fine if we were going to find her biological father. Okay. And we did find his family at that time. So there were all these this confluence of things happening. Like we found her biological sister on her dad's side. And, you know, he had recently passed away, like literally like two months before. And it turned out my mom had like a sister and three brothers. But um, so she was sort of thinking about that, but she didn't, we did not talk to her about this other issue until that very moment when my sister started to make the lineage tree and I texted my mom, you know, I felt like I was so discombobulated. I, I was so confused. I sent her a message and I said, you know, this name keeps coming up on my profile um, on Ancestry. These, these few names do, you know, as cousins who are related to me, but they're not related to you and they're not related to my sister. You know, do you have any explanation for that? Do these names sound familiar? And she was like, no, you know, those names aren't ringing a bell, <laughs> even though they're like the most common mm-hmm. <laughs> Scandinavian names you can think of. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, do you have any explanation of why, you know, my you know, ethnic background would be different than yours and my sister's or why it's different than my bio dad's. And she was like, no, you know, no. I was like, okay. So this is super protracted, but this was happening over the course of like three days because the day that we actually really figured it out was the eve of Christmas Eve on December 23rd, my sister finished making the tree and a name appeared on the lineage map that she made that was familiar to her and that was not such a common name and it was familiar to her because it was a close friend of her dad my stepdad uh, when we were growing up my sister called my mom and said you know this is coming up on jen's as a as a relative possibly i know based on a family tree that i created and um my mom was just like dead silent, according to my sister. And then she said, well, that really complicates things. Wow. So <laughs> who who did you believe was your biological father growing up? And what was your relationship like with him? My mom graduated from high school um, and she moved downtown to this little town and she moved in with a group of friends, right? And they, you know, so that they could, you know, party and do whatever young girls do, right? Mm-hmm. They had a they had a party one night. This is the, this will explain more about who my birth certificate dad is. They had a party one night and the guy that turned out to be my bio dad, you know, came to the party and he was like an athlete, he was a collegiate athlete. And he was in town and he had this sports car and he came to the party and, you know, she got in the car with him and drove to the neighboring town. I said he was from, and you know, one thing led to another. Hmm. I was conceived, but, um, she felt, and I don't know, she hasn't been clear if they maintained a relationship or what exactly was going on at that time, but she was dating my birth certificate dad around that same time. It sounds like she may have met him like a month later. He was a manager at the place that she worked and she started dating him and she said she didn't really like the partying lifestyle. And so she dated him for like two weeks from what I can figure out at this point. I never made these calculations while I was growing up. None of this crossed my mind. She she dated him for a couple weeks. They got married and she moved to Ohio, which is 2000 miles away. And while they were living in Ohio, she said she discovered, you know, she was feeling ill. She discovered she was pregnant. And like six months later I was born. And she said it never even crossed her mind that it could have been my bio dad. So we lived with my birth certificate dad in Ohio where he was born and raised and where his extended family is from. And then, you know, clearly things started to fall apart. And so she, when I was three months old, packed me up, took me back to Montana. We lived with my grandparents, her parents until they got divorced. And then she literally married my stepdad probably, well, I was like between 18 months and like two years old. Uh, when they got married. So I always believed that the man in Ohio was my birth certificate dad was my bio dad. And he would, he never lived in Montana. In the summers, he would pack up his family. He had a stepson and two daughters and they would drive the 2000 miles from Ohio to Montana and spend like 10 to 14 days in my hometown. And I would get in the van with them when they showed up and we would go and stay in like motels around my hometown. I wouldn't see my family, my nuclear family during that time at all. I wouldn't see my friends or anything. I would just stay in this motel with these people. Okay. So it was kind of like, he, he was sort of like a, you know, 
an uncle. I mean, obviously I called him dad and I considered him my dad, but he was very far away. Okay. So, so he wasn't a huge part of your life, but you did see him yearly mm-hmm. and you did believe mm-hmm. he was your bio dad. Okay. I did. Yeah. And, you know, in my mind as a kid, it was always very confusing because I had this step family and I had a stepdad who was there from the time that I was two, but we didn't have a very close relationship. And, you know, like he didn't come to my basketball games and he didn't take me to dance class and he didn't, you know, he, he was not present in that way. Part of that was because he was ill, but part of it was because we just didn't have that kind of relationship. And he had these three other children. Um, So I did kind of cling to the fact that I had this dad somewhere, even though like I, I felt like, you know, a fatherless child, basically, like I didn't, it was very confusing as a kid growing up, because I felt like an outsider. I was very, very emotional kid. Like I cried at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of it was probably just like the instability of all of that. I mean, it's very confusing. Yeah. So you're saying your mom had no idea. She, she believed (laughs) that your birth certificate father was your bio dad. So kind of going back to when you, when your sister confronted her and she Mm -hmm. said, this complicates things, Mm -hmm. what happens next? My sister then tells me, so that's another complicated part of the story in that my mom didn't call and tell me herself. She didn't call and say, oh, you know, this person, I don't remember being around, but like peripherally, I remember his name and his family and everything. Um, She didn't call and tell me like, this is your father. My sister called and told me the conversation that she had with my mom. So I am totally bereft at this point. I am, I am. Well, as you know, you like, you feel like you're splitting in two. Mm-hmm. It's a, it is such a visceral and I don't even know. I mean, I know I don't have to explain it to you, but for other people, you know, it's just when you find out like that, everything <laughs> has been a lie, right? Mm-hmm. You realize there's a man out there that you presumed was your father or that you had no father, that there is a sadness that is so profound that I feel like you're unable to breathe. Do you know what I yes. mean? Like oh, yes. you can't, it's just like you're, these two parts of yourself have totally split off, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that happened when you were born or whether that happens at that very moment when you find out, yeah, it's so discombobulating. So I'm texting my mom saying, I need to talk to you. You know, I think we need to have a conversation. And she was like, oh yeah, give me a call, you know, in five minutes. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, so she puts the onus on me to call her. So then I call her and she doesn't answer the phone. Mm. And um, I'm sitting there talking with my husband, like sobbing. My poor, you know, five-year-old is there, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm like, I'm totally incapable of like managing all the emotion of it. And uh, so then my mom calls back and is like, no, sorry, I was busy doing the dishes. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, you knew I was calling, but as the case may be, is there something that you need to tell me? And so she tells me the whole story. She tells me the story of him coming to the party and them driving in his car to his house in this town, you know, far northern Montana. So she tells me this whole story. um, And she tells me it in sort of like way too much detail. You know, there was, yeah. Yeah. There was too much, too much information for me to cope with at that point, Mm. you know? And she says that, no, after that, that point, it never occurred to her. She said, I went to Ohio and I felt ill, you know, at some point I was very sick. And she said, your grandmother, which would be my birth certificate dad's mother said, well, do you think you might be pregnant? And she said, and so I took a pregnancy test and I was pregnant and we had you and it never crossed her mind, which is impossible to understand as a woman who, you know, has had right. partners, you know, right. like you have intimate partners. It's not like you, I mean, maybe you block it out. Maybe people block it out. I don't know. Maybe it was too much for her to handle. I try to be understanding about it because she is adopted. So I feel like she has this like disconnection in a lot of ways. I'm trying to learn more about it because I, to be perfectly honest with you, I have a lot. I haven't been very understanding with her about it. So I'm trying to understand her position as an adoptee, right? As, you know, 
what was happening for her her whole life growing up and not knowing her own parents and specifically that she was looking for her father that perhaps she just in her experience not knowing who your father was is not is just the way things work in life you know I don't I really don't know yeah I, I understand it is hard I think for anyone, especially who's had a child or, I mean, heck, even a, a pregnancy scare, you think, mm-hmm. okay, who who could it be, right? Like you would think yeah. that, that would be the question, but. Um, you know, especially when you see the baby. So when I ask her about it, it, to this day, like a little, little bits and pieces come to the surface, sort of. She still says that it never crossed her mind at the time. And she's saying, like, looking back now, it does. And I'm thinking, well, first of all, this man was around. And you cannot look at him and look at me. And she knew his entire family. Let me put that out there. It's a very small area. Like, the fam- you know, the, the people that live in that geographic area, it's a very small group of people. And they're a distinct-looking group of people. And my mom is, like, short. And my dad, my birthday dad is short. I'm, like almost 510 and slender and my my birth certificate dad their whole family is built totally differently than I am when I asked her if she knew had any idea about this no no but she tells me the story about when they were together and I say well were you a couple or you know were you dating or were you was it a one-night stand and and she was like we weren't dating but we hung out a lot. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so that's vague. And, and I said, so was it a one night stand or did it happen more than once? She was like, she sort of said the same thing. Like we were spending a lot of time together, okay. which leads me to believe it wasn't a one-time thing, right? That possibly she had, you know, was seeing two people at one time mm. is my, my guess about that. But when she, I'm talking to her about this during the first telephone conversation, she says, oh, you know, I'm very understanding at this time. This is before I start to get like really angry with her. She says, well, I have these photos. Let me take pictures of them with my phone and send them to you. So she takes these photographs of, the, of some party in the seventies. And, you know, going back, I calculate and I was like, oh, I must've been about, you know, five or six when these photos were taken and it's my stepdad and my now I know bio dad and a bunch of their friends that I remember from growing up because they all you know liked party a lot and they're like playing horseshoes and drinking beer and smoking cigarettes you know and there's a picture of this guy this like tall blonde tan guy no shirt on and like cut off shorts and no shoes and uh <laughs> and so she has photographed it and sent it to me it's like all blurry on my phone and she was like well, this is your father do you recognize him mm. <laughs> And I was like, you know, no, I don't recognize him whatsoever. And, you know, like I realized I've seen these photos before. It's not clear to me why she has them because there's like 10 pictures of this one guy, right? Yeah. But there's a particular photo where he's standing at a profile and I looked at it and I was like, it was like looking at my own profile when I was that age. You know, he would have been like 27 or 28, I guess, at that age, at that time. And, you know, I showed it to my husband and I showed it to like the two, my two really close friends that were like trying to help me process all of this. And they were like, oh, it's like you, like even, it's like even your legs, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. It's like, there's so many things that don't make sense about it. Right. Yeah. How did you feel when you saw those photos? You know, it was such a long process of the time from when I started to figure out that this was a possibility to when I got to to photos it was not that long like literally it was like 48 hours right Mm -hmm. but it felt like so like such an excruciatingly long period of time um but it felt like oh you know it was like such a realization that for one thing I had all this super weird dysmorphia when I was growing up really uncomfortable with my body and the way my face looked and all these things that I thought were wrong. You know, I didn't, wasn't seeing myself in anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. There was nobody that was like, I was like, was like mirroring myself back at me. And so I was like, aha, you know, that was my first feeling was like, whoa, like there is, there is my person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And the second way I felt was that, oh my gosh, this is my father and he 
not only was he there like around when I was growing up, like he lived like literally in the grand scheme of Montana, which is a huge sparsely populated state. He just lived down the road. And so I felt like really like a lot had been taken away from me because I didn't have that experience of having a father. Did he have any clue about you? Well, that is a good question. I, as soon as I found out, I have this like feeling in my life that I don't want there to be untruth, like in the world. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So as soon as I found this out and like, my mom doesn't see it as an untruth. She doesn't see it as a lie. She kind of, she kind of talks about it now, like an omission, which to me is like not really that different, but I, it was very important to me when she finally came clean about it. I was like, you need to call him. You need to call him right now and tell him like they remained friends. And as an aside, when she was living downtown and that with those in the party house, when she first moved out of high school, when all of this went down, one of the women that she was living with in that house is his now wife. And so they married when I would have been like 10 years old. Okay. Um, so they have all really remained friends and you know how your parents have friends that you don't know very well and everything, but she had run into them in a bar and a couple of summers back it was pre COVID and they had invited her to go camping with them or something crazy. So, you know, she had maintained, a, you know, some kind of relationship with them. So I was like, you need to call and, and tell him. And she was like, yeah, you know, it's Christmas. <laughs> I want to let him get through the holidays. So I'll call him after the new year. And I was like, whoa, you know, that is a really long time. I feel like it's been a lie or an omission, whatever you want to call it long enough. You need to call him now. And she really couldn't bring herself to it. And I also said she needed to tell my birth certificate dad. Yeah. Which she never did. She left that to me. Mm. But since I knew she wasn't going to contact my bio dad, I wrote him a letter explaining the history, including a photo of yourself as a child and the, as an adult. And then I included one of each of my children. And I just sent him a typed letter to his home address, you know, <laughs> hoping that I didn't ruin his life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and he got the letter. Well, now I know his wife checked the mail. She opened the letter and read it. And then she quickly went to him and said, oh, I probably shouldn't have opened this. You know, this letter is for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my mom did call him and tell him the situation. And at that point, he had already gotten my letter. And in her telling of the story, this is, he had written back to me already. I had not yet gotten the letter. So when my mom relayed the story to me of calling him, um, and his response, I hadn't received a letter from him. Um, so I was still sort of in the dark. So she calls him, tells me that she spoke to him. And I said, you know, what did he say? And she tells me that he said shit happens. Hmm. So that was very upsetting. Yeah. That's kind of, uh, not the response yeah. you might expect, I guess. No, but the next day I got a letter from him and it was very open. It was like a handwritten letter. And he was like, I'm, the timing is right. You know, I'm very happy to meet you. I really hope that we can, you know, establish a relationship. I don't know where this is going to take us. He explained what their life had been like, you know, what it, about his family, his kids, his wife, his everything. Um, you know, and it was like, ended with, you know, the invitation to have a you know, have an exchange of letters for the time being. And uh, it was very different than what my mom said. So now that I've gotten to know him, he's kind of a wry guy. Mm. And he he's very shy and quite nervously says things like shit happens a lot. I mean, and my mother is one of those people, I don't know, you know, those people that you want to try to, their personality is such that you try to like protect them in some way or I don't know. It's very hard to explain. She's a difficult person. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of us say things to try to like make things easier for her. Mm. That, and then she's also kind of cruel. And so since the time that I found out about this, she said a number of things that have been totally inappropriate. His response, as I've asked him over time, like, did you have any idea? The first couple of times he said, no, he didn't know. And then this last time I have spent time with him I was spending time with him and he said um I do remember seeing you 
as a child, you know, like he's processing it yeah, and thinking he's very emotional about it. Let me put that out there first. There's a lot of emotion when we talk about it. He and his wife both, I think, feel like they lost out on a lot. Well, you know, like I, I feel, but my impression is that he didn't know at the time unless he like subconsciously right. when he saw me was like, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like with us too, you know, even when, when you're surprised, mm-hmm. sometimes I think you look back and you go, oh, wait, you know, you have these little fit flashes of things that, oh, well, duh, oh I should gosh. have noticed that. Like, obviously yeah. that was what happened. So maybe that's yeah. what's happening with him. I, I mean, I don't know, but did, did yeah. they have any children, him and his wife? So they, yeah, he and his wife have two children. They have two boys. They're like 10 years and 12 years younger than I am. After I wrote the first letter, he continued to write letters back and forth to me for like a year. So about six months in, his wife was like, whoa, this is a lot. He had had some health scares during the year and she felt like there was a lot going on for them. And then he was, he apparently was, was like very excited every time he got, he'd get a letter and, you know, it would felt like threatening in some ways. She's been very honest with me about all of it, you know? And um, so he needed to step back for a while and then eventually, so that was a very painful time because it was a couple month period where I wasn't communicating with him at all when I thought we were establishing like a pen pal relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. And then one night I was leaving work, I worked the swing shift at a hospital and I got this email and it was from their last name, you know, and I opened it quickly because I was walking to my car and it was his wife just explaining everything to me. And then at the very end, she said, you know, I'm sorry that this happened. I'm sorry I cut you off. You know, none of it was your fault. You were just an innocent baby. And we lost so much over all these years. And now we have the future to look forward to. So, you know, let's make things happen. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, she's a very open and loving and like, I just don't know many people that would be able to do that, particularly since she has a relationship with my mom, you know? So I went to visit them for my birthday this year, which was exactly a year after after I found out about him being my father, I was there for three days over my birthday. The, <laughs> the plan was for us all to meet. And it was like, I was going to go meet them at a bar. And it was going to be him and his wife and his best friend, who is his wife's brother and his wife and my brother, one of my brothers and his wife. And I was like, whoa, like that's a lot, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot for me to deal with. I was like staying in a hotel and, you know, my hometown and because I just couldn't deal with my family, my mom and family at that time. And so I took my best friend from high school and I was like, look, you're going with me. And so we went and we met them and they were super gracious and open and like right away started saying like, this is my daughter, this is my, you know, sister. And then the next day I went back to my hotel after the night after meeting them, we took photos and everything. And they sent me a message. It was like, happy birthday. We're going to be staying at grandma's house. His mother, who's 93 years old, would you like to come and stay at grandma's? And so I packed up my stuff and drove into town and spent the night at my grandmother's house. Wow. (laughs) So would you say that that relationship is, is going well? What are your hopes for that relationship? It's going really well. Um, I went back a second time which was just a month ago. And I stayed the little town that they live in is, as I said, like about 90 miles North of where, where I grew up, it's a much smaller town. So I flew into my hometown with where the airport is. And then we drove to, you know, I look at it now as like the place that would have been my home. Mm-hmm. I drove with them there and I've thought a lot about this and I've like written about it a little bit, but that idea of like, how poignant that is that you go to this place, you know, it's like a place that you've never been, but you have like this deep visceral connection to, Yeah, you know, like you're rooted there. You totally are rooted there. He, he grew up there and his father and mother were there. And so we drove to their hometown and I stayed with them for seven days. And on our way into town, we stopped gambling is legal in Montana. Mm-hmm. So we stopped at a casino and we gambled and we drank beers and literally everybody in this little small town was at the casino <laughs> and we went out to dinner after that. And every time somebody would come up, they would either say, I've heard so much about you. We're so excited to meet you. You know, he's always wanted a daughter. Or if it was somebody that hadn't, didn't know the story yet, 
he would say, I'd like you to meet my daughter. And I would say, I didn't know you had a daughter. And he would say, well, neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's one. I'm so glad that it's going so well. Yeah. I mean, I understand that I'm, that it's a rare case. I feel extremely, extremely fortunate. I mean, at the time that it's happening, you know, I, th I think back a lot to the time when I was having, like the discovery was happening. Like, I, I, you know how you have such a, it's like an embodied memory of that moment. Mm -hmm. I can remember sitting on my bed actually, and trying to keep my kids at bay a little bit, because as I was processing it, I was having, I know everybody calls it an identity, identity crisis, but it was such a, it was such a crisis of person, like, and such a loss for understanding, like thinking back about your childhood and growing up and all of these things that are coming together. Yeah. But then at the same time, like seeing yourself and feeling like, I remember, I very, remember very well looking in the mirror because I was like crying, 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 and washing my face with cold water and just looking in the mirror and being like, what? Like, who is this person? Yeah. It was so confusing. Yep. Yeah. I feel like that's an experience. So many of us have just that weirdness when you look at your reflection and it persists and there are so many things. I mean, now it's so amazing because I look at my elder son and he's an adult son at this point. I look at him and he is identical to my bio dad's father. So there are all these connections that you make, Yeah. but the I mean, there's so many things that are hard about it. Every time, the first time I visited them, I remember them driving me to the airport. And I remember sitting in the back of the car. Montana's very beautiful mountains. It's in this valley. And they, you know, they call it big sky country for a reason, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but there are these giant blue skies and it's winter, so there's snow everywhere. And I cried from the time we left my grandmother's house until I arrived in San Francisco. Because I was, you know, you just you've lost so much and you feel like moving away from that, going away from it, this short period of time you have, you know, these people are, are older. You don't know how much time you have and you, so much has been lost. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. There's a story that my stepmom told me on the first day we met, which is part of what has made it really hard for me and her, I think, which is that when I came back, with my mom from Ohio when I was three months old, apparently there was a baby shower and my stepmom obviously knew my bio dad, you know, they were all in the same group of friends. And she said, she looked at me as a three month old baby and she looked at my mom and she's a very frank woman. She's very direct and she's very honest. And she said, is this, you know, so-and-so's baby because she has his eyes. And my mom said, no she has my eyes. And that was the end of the conversation. So it's not as if, so when my mom says she didn't, didn't know, it's not as if, it's not as if there wasn't an opportunity for her to think about it. Even okay. if, okay, yeah, you know what I mean? You're, you're learning more bits of information that you know that it at least came across her mind at some point. How are things with your mother? Not great. And my sister, I feel really sad because my younger sister bears a lot of the brunt a lot of the brunt is the word for it. She works. She, she carries a lot of the burden of my mom and I having a contentious relationship. And she always has. And we sort of had this conversation because when I visited this time, I spent an evening with them and my sister and her partner and my um, older stepbrother and like niece, a lot of us were there and um, playing games and stuff. And my mom she says insensitive things. I think I've said, I think I've said that yeah, already. Yeah. Um, but she'll say them out of the blue in front of other people or suddenly be like, we need to talk about this right now. And I will be like, well, we haven't talked about it in a year. Why is it that we need to talk about it in front of every member of the family? Mm. <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything too harsh, but there are some personality issues that are difficult to reconcile sometimes with her being my mother. So and this is what I was explaining to my sister. She said she always felt even growing up like she had to try to mend the relationship between my mom and myself or try to bring those two bring us together. And I tried to explain to her and the way I explained to her was this. She is a mother. She was the mother and I was the child just as I am now. But you're talking about a time 
she met, you know, she referenced when she was like five years old or something. So that would have made me 10 years old. And I said to her, do you understand that you're talking about expecting me to have a relationship with this adult woman when I'm a child that is on the same plane? And that doesn't make any sense. So in a lot of ways, I understand it was because she was a young mother and she had a lot of traumas from her own adoption, but she also related to me in a way that was not like a child, that was much more like a contemporary and like an adversary. Yeah. My And my sister, maybe because she had a father figure and I was like, maybe because her father was there and she had a relationship with him and that in some way balanced it out. I'm not sure. Or maybe because my mother looked at me in my mind, what I imagine is, is that she looks at me when I am a baby and she doesn't know who my father is. And she says, well, you know, I also don't know who my father is, you know, not consciously, right? right, like right. Subconsciously. And, and so projects this fatherlessness onto me and not because she necessarily thinks that how that's how it should be in the world, but because she just can't carry it anymore for herself. Mm. That's and powerful. That's heavy. That's sort of how it feels. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is there's the conundrum of my birth certificate dad, who she never called to tell. <laughs> that was my next question was about your, your birth certificate dad. How are things with him? Well, when everything happened, went down, I called my middle sister, his, his eldest daughter and said, you know, I, he's old. His sister recently died. Uh, he, he moved from Ohio to South Carolina to live with my sister and her family. And, uh, his youngest daughter also went. And so I called her and said, how do you think he would handle this news? I don't know. I don't have any definitive answer. Nobody else ever took a DNA test. Like I asked my bio dad, do you want to take a birth certificate test? And he said, I don't need to take a birth certificate test. I can tell by looking at you that you're my daughter. So I asked my birth certificate sister if she would take an ancestry test. And she was like, sure, no problem. She's like, I don't believe this. There's, this is just it's not possible, you know? Yeah. So I sent her an ancestry test. Whatever happened, I don't know, like three times the test failed, which is because I don't think she really wanted to take it. But I did ask her to speak with my younger sister and say, you know, do you think he can handle this news? He's an old man. He's not in good health. He had all these losses. They came back to me the next day and said, you know, no, we don't think that you should tell him that my mom said you shouldn't tell him. And I sat with that for a while. And I was like, you know, I cannot have this lie out there in the world. I just can't, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've said this before, but like, what if he dies? And then that just goes with him. You know, that lie, like, you know, it just feels like it sullies the soul a little bit, you know, and you don't want to. You fine if you want to do that to your own soul, <laughs> but I didn't want to do it to somebody else's, right? Yeah. I called him the next day, the day after, and uh, he didn't answer. And I was on my way; it was kind of a commute, and he called. And so I pulled over. When I answered the phone, I just started crying. You know, he was like, "What's wrong?" And I, I said, "You know, I took this DNA test looking for mom's father, and and told him, and he was just really silent. And he said, "The thing that I hear many, many." parents say in this situation, which is that, you know, you know, I'll always, you'll always be my daughter, you know, and in in retrospect, like he didn't say, I'll always be your father. (laughs) Yeah. Which is different saying that you'll always be my daughter. And the reason I say that now, like, it seems like, like I'm parsing words there, but I don't think that is the case because after that he's, you know, he was very upset with my mother and she has never spoken to him about it. I haven't spoken to him since that day. Since Christmas of 2020? 2020. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was always felt like kind of a responsibility of mine as a kid to maintain a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Like I, especially as I grew older, my oldest son is 23 years old and he's never met my oldest son. So, okay. It's tough because he did go out of his way every summer to come and see me and, you know, call once in a while. <laughs> Yeah. I don't really know what to say about it. I mean, it's a huge loss. And for him, I imagine maybe more profound than for me. However, I just wonder if he didn't know all along. Because I don't know as a parent how you could just sever a relationship like that with that news. Also understanding that the other person's in a total crisis. Right, right. I don't understand how you could just like 
sever. I would, you know, part of the onus is on me for not contacting him, but I, you know, I don't even know what to say. Plus I'm trying to establish this relationship with this other person who is, you know, actually my father. Yeah. Yeah. So many pieces here. With my bio dad, I think about this a lot is that I have this like very embodied emotional attachment to him and his family. Like I met his, one of his sisters, he has three sisters. I never had any aunts growing up. He has two sons. I never had any brothers growing up. I have a stepbrother, but he's much older, but I have, it's like, I don't even know how to explain it. Maybe you'll understand. Like it's this feeling in the, that originates somewhere in the pit of my stomach or like below where my heart is that when I think about him or see him or he calls me on the telephone a lot, just out of the blue, which is so great. And you get that feeling like when you, I, at some point I said, it's like when you're like, when you're have a crush on somebody or when you're falling in love with your teenager, but obviously not in a romantic way, Yeah. but like, you know, the, the feeling you have for your children mm-hmm. when you are holding them, when they're babies or the first time I have that feeling with my dad and it's very disconcerting and discombobulating because I am almost 50 years old. (laughs) (laughs) It's really strange and so emotional. Like if he did, there was a period in time, which he doesn't really talk on the phone and he uses his wife's cell phone and, you know, texts are so complicated and he doesn't do that. If I, but if I didn't hear from him, I would be like, so bereft, you know, would Mm. be fall into this deep depression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is so strange because I, I feel like one of the luckiest people in this situation because I have been allowed to like have this man and his whole family in my life. And they are the most open and, you know, accepting people that I maybe ever met. That's so wonderful. How has your immediate, like your nuclear family handled it your husband and your children well my husband is a saint because (laughs) I don't know if you have this experience but I talk about it all the time Mm -hmm. like it's sort of an everyday topic of conversation still I mean it's been a year you know so he has definitely been like the rock and he has so many insights about all of it you know, he's able to help me process things when I have feelings about like feeling rejected or feeling about things that have been lost. Like he's able to like reflect that back to me and say, yeah, that makes sense. And this is the reason why, rather than saying like, no, you shouldn't feel that way or trying to minimize it. He, he's very good at understanding like how profound and life-changing it all is. My little guy yesterday received, he's seven, he received a package in the mail from his grandma and grandpa, you know, said to, you know, from love grandma and grandpa, we can't wait to meet you in person. And um, my older son is hilarious about it because he looks so much like the family. He's a really big guy. He's like six, three and, you know, he weighs like 220 pounds. And, and uh, he was like, well, finally, I know, you know, like, where my size comes from and, you know, where my blonde hair comes from and where, you know, he said why I make funny faces when I have photos taken because, (laughs) you know, he sees that in the photos of everybody else. And he was in the military and they were in the military. So, you know, there are all these, this confluence of so many things. They've been all really positive. The people that have taken it hardest obviously have been my mom and my little sister that found my dad for me. I have a lot of guilt about this now. Hopefully I can process, but I cut her off for about six months because that relationship that she has with my mom and the fact that she told me rather than my mom telling me and just like the whole triangulation of all of it, mm-hmm. I just couldn't cope with it. And my little sister has been my best friend literally since the day she was born. But I I just, for whatever reason, I no one in the family, I couldn't comprehend maybe having a new like trying to manage a new relationship or figuring out this other part of myself and then still holding on to this other part of myself that had been wrong that hadn't been that hadn't actually been me so I took this six-month period to try to like 
manage all of that. And I am, again, very, very fortunate in the fact that my little sister was like, as soon as I came back and said, you know, I'm ready to talk, she was like, okay, yeah, I'm here for you, whatever you need. Well, that's great. Yeah, that takes a big person. In light of your experience, I don't know if you want to talk about this on the podcast, but you are starting a podcast of your own, right? Do you want to talk about that? Well, I started that podcast. This is hilarious. I started that podcast literally in February of 2021. It was like two months after Okay. I found out. So, you know, when you first find out, like you want to talk about it, you want to talk about the experience and you want to have, you want to hear about the experience and the other podcasts that at the time, the only two that were, that I knew about were Everything's Relative and NPE Stories. Mm-hmm. So I sort of like listen to every single one of them. I have a very long commute to work, like an hour and a half. So I would listen to every single one of those stories at that period of time. And I would read everything that I possibly could about it. And I thought, you know, I want to hear other people's stories. So I'm going to start a podcast. And so I, and I did it. My history is before I became a nurse, um, I worked for a reproductive endocrinologist, Mm. which I should say is the reason why I never doubted the DNA results. Like I know a lot of people are like, oh, maybe it's wrong. And we studied, you know, people who used donor gametes to conceive their children Mm. um, and whether or not they were going to disclose to their children. This is literally like 25 years ago that I did this research. Wow. (laughs) With, and, and I was in medical anthropology. So I was a medical anthropologist. We collected stories at that time. And I wrote a big article. I mean, I wrote many articles about it, but there was one that was, that I was first author on that was very important to me. And it was about kinship and about biological relatedness, sort of a nature versus nurture kind of thing. And I went back and read that article when all this happened. And I was like, well, I need to, you know, I need to change my perspective on this and I need to put something out there. I want to have hear people's stories now so that I can write something that sort of is counter to that. Because at the time I was saying, you know, because I didn't want to be essentialist and I didn't want to, I had this idea, you know, the idea of nature was sort of on the outs. Like it didn't matter in terms of kinship and relatedness Mm -hmm. in academia at that time. I totally have totally, you know, done a 180 on that now. And so in hearing a, the reason that I wanted to establish a podcast is because I wanted to hear other people's stories, not just people who had had a DNA discovery, but people who had used reproductive technologies or people who were adopted or family members, like people like my sister who got cut off during the whole situation or people mm-hmm. like my dad that found out that they had a, um, you know, a child. And so that's when I started the podcast. Well, that kind of went by the wayside because of COVID, because it was just, I was working constantly also in processing. So I just really got that going again a couple months ago. And so my hope is that people tell me stories and then I use that information from all different areas to like re-examine that original, you know, thesis basically that I had back in a million years ago. (laughs) It was like 2011 or something. Yeah. And where can people find the podcast if, if they want to listen? Unfinishedtruths.com, or you can look at any platform um, and just search Unfinished Truths Podcast, and it should come up. Thanks for asking about that, though. Of course, of course. Um, I just want to encourage people to listen. I I think, you know, all of the NPE DNA surprise um, stories and podcasts all bring something different to the table, and I definitely encourage people to listen to them. Um, I think you you speak about it so eloquently and with a lot of thought, and I I definitely for one am going to listen. So, thank you. I'm sure some of it will probably sound repetitive now. You know when you start to tell your story and you're like, oh my god, it sounds the same every time I tell it. Yeah, I feel like it really helps with the processing though. To, to tell the more you tell it, the the more it helps. And it evolves. It definitely evolves. Yes. Yes. What advice would you offer a parent who is keeping a DNA surprise from their child? Yeah, I would, my advice is very simple. I would say, don't do that. <laughs> I would say, <laughs> I know it sounds like that's sort of one-sided and everything, but I would say, I mean, the truth is really, really important. If you're, as a parent, as a child, for one, but as a parent, I'm going to speak as a parent. I can't see how keeping 
the truth from your child would ever have a positive outcome for either your child or for yourself. And there's nothing more precious than your relationship with your children. And loving a child means allowing them under any circumstances means allowing them to be who they are. And there is no way that a child can be who they are if they don't know the other half of themselves. That's really well said. And I, I like that perspective a lot of thinking about it as a parent. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I honestly, I, I think I kind of had done that before, but really thinking just now about keeping something like that from my own children was uh, heavy and I can't really imagine it. So yeah, thank you for that perspective. Yeah, I have, because I have, I have an old, I have an adult child and I have a small child. So I have this like grand perspective on things. I probably wouldn't have had that perspective <laughs> when my first one was, I mean, I would obviously the truth would have been born, but I have like I have retrospective parenting also. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that. What advice do you have for other NPEs? I would say just go really easy on yourself. You need to take a lot, a lot of time. If I could go back and do it differently, obviously I wouldn't expose my younger child to it. I don't know how you would avoid that exactly. Um take a lot of time. The things that I remember the most about the beginning, because it's like the grief is so intense. Like, you know, you, you have that feeling like something is broke, broken inside of you that can never be repaired, you know, and like, you can never go back. You can never go back from that moment to the time to who you were before. And so I say the things that I remember the most are I had one friend that just who has a child the same age as my youngest child so we just took them out in the mountains and went walking and that walking just like literally in silence I mean I think I was crying a lot of the time but that was very helpful because you have someone with you but you don't have to talk about it but then Mm. the opposite is that I had another friend that when I needed to talk about it that was my person that I talked to and I think it's totally fine to lean on the people around you you know, to let them take on some of that grief, just like you would with any other grief. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is have faith, you know, because in the process working out in the end, I know I spoke with someone the other day that, you know, hadn't had a great response initially, you know, it was new for them for an NPE from their bio family. And I would say, you know, also be persistent. I mean, you don't have to be like a pain, but, um, I think people come around. And I also think that if you have the opportunity to speak to somebody, like literally like speak to them with your voice or to see them in person, I think that there is some like, this isn't, I, like I said before, I don't want to sound essentialist or anything, but I feel like there is something about the biology, something about the connectedness of relation, of being related to someone by blood that is very profound and so if you could find even one person you know that's in your bio family that's willing to you know meet with you have a conversation with you i mean i think it's important to do that yeah yeah i mean they're experiencing a grief too right yeah it's for everything that they thought about their life like i think about my stepmom and like everything she thought about her life is different and she's so sweet that she talks about it like we lost the chance to be your parents. Mm. But I think also, you know, those people are losing from this point forward, their entire life is totally altered. So I think they just need time to process that. It's it's overwhelming, like so overwhelming that if you have the ability to give yourself time to just sit with that information for some time, like. I don't even know how long, at least like a week, (laughs) probably much longer than that. I wish that I hadn't been going to work and taking care of other people and, you know, doing this, that, and the other thing. I wish I had just sat with it for a while because you kind of need to sit back and figure out who you are before you can really move on with your life. Yeah. 
Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I hope that your journey continues to move in a positive direction um, with your newfound family and that things improve or at least that you find peace with your mother and birth certificate father as well. Well, thank you so much for the podcast. going to promote it widely so that people outside of our community can can hear all of your really important insights. I think that this is a super valuable platform for people, you know, to like process and then for other people to learn. So I'm really, really grateful. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks again to Jennifer for sharing her story. You can hear more from Jennifer on her podcast, Unfinished Truths, which is linked in the show notes. I'm taking a short break between seasons two and three but I'll be back with more DNA surprise stories in September. Thank you again for listening. Until next time.